Tonight we're going to continue our spiritual disciplines for the Christian life study. Uh, we're going to look at what would be chapter 9 in the book um, over fasting, silence, and solitude. Uh, I'm pretty sure this is going to take us uh, quite a bit of time to get through it, so it's probably also going to be a two-parter. And so uh, we're going to start off by looking at the idea of fasting, and then we'll also, uh, the silence and solitude part does not take very long, uh, so we'll add that on later on. Uh, but probably won't even get, be able to finish through fasting. Uh, Chelsea's going to keep a look an eye on the time so I don't go over. And so I uh, just want to let you know where we're heading with this. Uh, but we're going to be looking at the spiritual disciplines of fasting specifically tonight. Uh, I do want to mention, and I've forgotten to do so uh, in the past, um, that there are study guides available for each of these lessons that I have posted uh, online. They're only available for a short time uh, but uh, on the website, but they're still accessible. You can get them through our Faith Life page. Uh, but you can also, uh, have, they're posted to the website, and you can access uh, currently Lesson 8 and then the lesson for tonight, Lesson 9, uh, by scrolling down past where you click to uh, go on to the live stream. There is a, um, a button there that you can click that will bring up the, a link to the document. You'll have to choose to download it as a PDF. Uh, it'll take you to an external site, uh, and then you can download that and be able to follow along and answer the questions and and to uh, discuss with uh, friends or, or maybe with your family members the things that we're discussing uh, here tonight. So I did want to mention that uh, you can access the study guide uh, online with our um, through our website. So take a look for that. So in thinking about fasting, Christians who don't know much about the discipline of fasting tend to misunderstand it and they tend to fear it. And it's also difficult to go so radically against the, the mainstream of culture in fasting. That's not something that most people do. Uh, yet purposeful fasting provides strong benefit in the discipline pursuit of Christ-like faith. And so it is a, it is a discipline that Jesus both taught and one that he also practiced. And so... Uh, Likewise, the disciplines of silence and solitude, which Jesus also practiced and, and taught, uh, are foreign to many of us because we've grown up and we've been comfortable with having noise and crowds. You, you know, most of us, um, especially younger, carry uh, headphones around with us and, and listen to music throughout the day. We have radios playing in our cars. I, I remember I had a had a car that I bought that didn't have a stereo and drove it for an hour back home, and it drove me crazy not to have the radio playing while I was driving. And uh, unfortunately, we've just grown up in a culture where listening to something, some sound, some noise to fill the silence has become all too common. And so uh, we're, we're uncomfortable with silence. But we have to learn not only fasting, but also the disciplines of silence and solitude. And we're going to talk about those over the, these next couple of weeks. Uh, because these, dis- these disciplines contribute much to our spiritual growth and to the way we develop as Christ followers. And so, uh, the first thing I want us to look, look at tonight is fasting. And fasting specifically for the purpose of godliness. Because we can fast, and we know we've done fast for medical reasons and the like, uh, having tests done, but those are uh, not done for the same purpose. But Christians live in a gluttonous, denialless, self-indulgent society. 
that uh, may struggle to accept and to begin the practice of fasting. Uh, Few disciplines go so radically against our own flesh and so radically against our culture as fasting. And so we, we tend not to fast, but that's a, that's a mistake and that we, we need to correct. And so we, we should not dare to overlook its biblical significance. Fasting is all throughout the scriptures. We're going to look at some of that tonight. Um, of course, for some people, for medical reasons, they're not able to fast because to do so would be hazardous to their health. Um, but at the same time, no Christian should ignore that fasting brings benefits in the disciplined pursuit of Christ-like life. So let's start by looking at fasting explained. Let's talk about what fasting is. Christian fasting is a believer's voluntary abstinence from food for spiritual purposes. Now, there are other types of fasting that maybe produce benefits for our mind or for our body, but they can't be classified as Christian fasting. And so likewise, if a person who is not a Christian goes in a, in a fast, it obtains no, they obtain no eternal value from that. It is for believers in Christ, for the discipline to be rooted in a relationship with Christ and practiced with the desire of becoming more like Christ. And so believers should fast according to the biblical teaching and should fast according to purposes that are God-centered. And so it's, it's a voluntary fast. It's not something that should be coerced. It's something that can be encouraged but not coerced. And fasting is not just a, a, this ultimate crash course, uh, crash diet for the body. But it is abstinence from food for a spiritual purpose. Uh, and so there is a broader yet overlooked view of fasting, which for spiritual purposes a person may abstain uh, from or deny oneself the enjoyment of something that's not food. But throughout the scriptures, uh, it's it's constantly referring to the idea of fasting from food, the absence uh, the absence of eating from of food. And so for us to understand fasting for spiritual purposes, we must understand that the Bible distinguishes between several different kinds of fasts. And so let's look at those different kinds of fasts. First of all, there's the normal fast. A normal fast involves abstaining from all food, but you still drink water. Uh, Jesus uh, talks about this in Matthew chapter 4, verse 2, after he had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Luke chapter 4 also says, For forty days to be tempted by the devil, he ate nothing during these times, and when they were over, he was hungry. So after this forty-day fast, Jesus was hungry. It doesn't say anything about Jesus being thirsty. And unless it was some kind of supernatural fast, uh, physically our bodies can't go forty days without water. So more than likely, this was what would be considered a normal fast, uh, that he still drank water, he was in the desert. He needed to have water or he would uh, would not last. Uh, but he had water and he went without food for 40 days. And so that would be a, an example of a normal fast where we go without food, but we still drink water. And so uh, that is a good example of that. But let's look at also the idea of a partial fast. A partial fast is a, is a limitation of our diet, but it's not... Uh, not staying away from all food. You still eat 
some. And, and a good example of this comes from the book of Daniel, chapter 1 and verse 2. Uh, Daniel and his friends were taken uh, into exile from, from uh, Judah into Babylon, and there the, the leader of Babylon, uh, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, uh, had, his, um, had his soldiers go and pull out the ones that seemed to be the best and the brightest to become part of his entourage. And he uh, determined that they would have this, this meal that they ate. And, and Daniel and his friends didn't want to be, um, be ritually unclean from the king's meal. And so they asked this. Uh, it said, Please test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. And so they ate only vegetables and drank only water for a time. And this was a way... Uh, this was a, an example of a partial fast. They went without eating meat uh, for a time. It's not not a full, you have to be a vegetarian to be a Christian, because that is not, not applicable uh, at all here. Uh, but it is to show that they were living a way that was different from the others. And so their fast was partial. They still ate some things, but they didn't eat everything. And then, to contrast with that, is an absolute fast, where you avoid all all food, and all liquid, even to the point of not drinking water. Here's some examples of this. Ezra chapter 10, Ezra then went from the house of God and walked to the chamber of Jehoanan, son of Eliashib, sorry, Eliashib, where he spent the night. He did not eat food or drink water because he was mourning over the unfaithfulness of the exiles. Esther also, in, in Esther chapter 4, Go and assemble all the Jews who can be found in Susa and fast for me. Don't eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my female servants will also fast in the same way. After that, I will go to the king, even if it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. And then Acts chapter 9, uh, verse 9, He was unable to see, speaking of Paul, He was unable to see for three days and did not eat or drink. And so these are all examples of an absolute fast where they went without food, they went without water. Notice that commonly, commonly, it's three days. Once you get past three days, the body starts to shut down without water. And so these are uh, a common type of fast where they don't drink and they don't eat. Then there is the supernatural fast. The supernatural fast, which requires God's supernatural intervention into our bodily processes to allow it to happen. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 9 records one of these for, um, for Moses. When I went up to the mountain to receive the stone tablets, the tablets of the covenant the Lord made with you, I stayed on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. I did not eat food or drink water. So, once again, this, this seems like a parallel to uh, what Jesus did in, in um Matthew chapter 4, Luke chapter 4, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 2, Luke chapter 4, uh, that we just looked at. and uh, But here it specifically says that the Lord was with him. He went up uh, to be uh, for a purpose. And so Jesus's could have been a supernatural fast. It could have been. Um, but it's also a good example of what could be a regular fast. Whereas we know for sure Moses was not able to do that. And so for 40 days and 40 nights, it specifies that he did not drink water. And so he has had to be a supernatural fast. Also, there's a private fast. Uh, and some of these overlap. And so don't think that you have to fall in completely to one or the, the other. But a private fast is what Jesus was talking about in Matthew chapter 6, verse 16 through 18. He says, Whenever you fast, don't be gloomy 
like the hypocrites, for they make their faces unattractive so that their fasting is obvious to people. But truly I tell you, they have their reward. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that your fasting isn't obvious to others, but to your father who is in secret, and your father who is in secret will reward you. And so he said that when we fast, we should not do so in a way that we would be noticed by others. So therefore it has to be something that is done privately, so it's a private fast. Uh, On the other hand, you have a congregational fast. Uh, Congregational fasts are the types that are found in, say, the book of Joel, chapter 2, where it says, Blow the horn in Zion, announce a sacred fast, proclaim an assembly, Uh, gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the aged, gather the infants, even babies nursing at the breast, and let the groom leave his bedroom and the bride her honeymoon chamber. He says, we're going to have a fast. It's going to be a sacred fast. The whole assembly is coming together to do this fast together. Acts chapter 13, they also did the same. It says, as they were worshiping the Lord, that is the church, and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work for, to which I've called them. And so as the church is setting aside this time of fasting, the Holy Spirit comes to the church, to the congregation, and says, all right, I want you to set apart these two men for the specific work that I have called them. So we see there's a congregational fast happening in, in both the Old Testament and the New Testament there. And to take that even further, uh, there's a national fast. The Bible speaks uh, quite a bit to national fast. In, in Second Chron- uh, Chronicles 20, verse 3, Jehoshaphat was afraid and he resolved to seek the Lord, and so he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. All Judah was to be fasting during this time. Nehemiah chapter 9. On the 24th day of this month, the Israelites assembled. They were fasting, wearing sackcloth, and had put dust on their heads. Once again, the whole of the Israelites had assembled. Esther chapter 4, that we read just a minute ago, she asked all the Jews who were in Susa, in other words, everybody who was a Jew in that country, to take three days and fast on her benefit. And then Jonah chapter 3, uh, verse 5 through 8, the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast and dressed in sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least. And the, when the word reached the king of Nineveh, he got up from his throne, he took off his royal robe, he put on sackcloth, he sat in ashes, and then he issued a decree in Nineveh. By order of the king and his nobles, no person or animal, herd or flock, is to taste anything at all. They must not eat or drink water. Furthermore, both people and animals must be covered with sackcloth, and everyone must call out earnestly to God. Each must turn from his evil ways and from his wrongdoing. And so, even in the the pagan country of Nineveh, our pagan city of Nineveh in the country of Assyria, uh, when when Jonah came and proclaimed that uh, the the destruction was coming for their sin, from the king down to the lowest animal. Everybody and everything was called to fast. <clears throat> and so that's a good example of national fasting. Let's look at regular fast. Uh, as, as opposed to a normal fast, uh, regular fast refers to a, an amount of time. And so God established that there was one regular fast that was to take place at a certain time every year. Uh, every Israelite was to fast on the Day of Atonement. In Leviticus chapter 16, it says, This is to be a permanent statute for you. In the seventh month, on the seventh day of the month, you are to practice self-denial and do no work. 
both the native and the alien who resides among you, so whether you are from here or not. Atonement will be made for you on this day to cleanse you, and you will be clean from all your sins before the Lord. It is a Sabbath of complete rest for you, and you must practice self-denial. It is a permanent statute. So every year during the seventh month on the tenth day, they were to fast. It was a regular fast that was regularly scheduled, something that was supposed to take place. As opposed to that, you have the occasional fast. Uh, These occur on special occasions as need arises. Examples of these are found in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Uh, Jehoshaphat was afraid and he resolved to seek the Lord, and so that was the reason why he proclaimed the fast. With Esther's situation, she was afraid of what was about to happen. She was going to go and seek uh, the favor of the king, and she wanted to make sure things were going to go well. And so on this occasion, she asked for the people to fast. Matthew chapter 9, Jesus said to the people, Can the wedding guests be sad while the groom is with them? But the time will come when the groom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. And then Acts chapter 14, When they had appointed elders for them in every church and prayed with fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And so when the time came for them to make this important decision of who's going to lead the church as far as human side, uh, who is going to be an elder in the church, the the church as a whole came together to fast and to pray uh, so that when they did so, they would know whom the Lord had chosen to be appointed as elders. And so fasting uh, can come in various ways. It can come in various uh, time frames. It can come regularly. It can come occasionally. Uh, it can be done together. It can be done separately. Uh, and it can be done completely nothing. It can be done without food, but still drinking water. Or it can be done uh, with still having some food, but restricting yourself. And so that's a good example of what fasting looks like. Let's notice that fasting is expected. Notice Jesus' words when he was speaking to his disciples in Matthew chapter 6. He says, whenever you fast. Truly I tell you, but when you fast. He keeps saying this idea of not if you fast, but when this takes place. This is what you are to do. And so by giving, giving us instructions on what to do and what not to do when we fast, Jesus is, is assuming that we're going to fast. And so, plainer still are his words in Matthew chapter 9, where he says, uh, the, John's disciples came to him saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding, groom, can the wedding guests be sad while the groom is with them? But the time will come when the groom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. So they didn't fast while Jesus was there with them. There wasn't a purpose to. Jesus was there with them. But once Jesus was gone from them, Then they chose to fast again, and he said they will fast again. And so he expects that the fast will take place. And so we live in a time when fasting should be taking place. We're waiting on the return of Christ. Uh, And until he returns, he expects us to fast. And now he, he gave no command regarding how often or how long we should fast. But just like the other spiritual disciplines that we've studied so far, Fasting isn't something that just devolves into some sort of empty, legalistic routine, but it's something that is spiritual and it's important, and it's something that should be done for a spiritual purpose. And God offers to bless us through fasting as often as we desire. 
And so with that being said, fasting is to be done for a purpose. And we're not going to get through all these tonight because I'm going to run out of time. Uh, but let's start on these and and we'll finish uh, next week with uh, what are some of the purposes for fasting. And then we'll look at silence and solitude uh, at the end of that. But let's, let's start off with tonight. Uh, fasting is to be done for a purpose. And uh, without a purpose, fasting can be something that's miserable. It becomes a self-centered experience about how can I experience and express this willpower and this endurance through my own power. But Scripture sets forth many purposes that we have for fasting. And these, I've, we've gone and condensed these into ten major categories. And uh, I want you to notice right off the bat that none of these purposes is for us to earn God's favor. We don't earn God's favor by fasting or by doing anything else other than by trusting in the act of what Jesus did on Calvary when he died on the cross for our sin and when he rose from the grave three days later and, and we place our faith and our trust in him. That is the only way that we earn God's favor. And so it's, it's useless for us to fast as a way to impress God and, and a way to earn his acceptance because it doesn't work that way. But faith in the work of Jesus Christ makes us acceptable to God, not our own efforts, regardless of how intensely uh, we fast or pray or no matter how sincerely we fast or pray. It's only by Christ that we can be uh, gain acceptance into the Lord's kingdom. But having said that, um, it it is important to have a biblical purpose for your fast. In fact, that may be the single most important thing that you take away from this lesson, is this idea that you must have a biblical purpose for your fasting. Because in real life, here's how it works. As you're fasting, and maybe your headaches or your, your stomach growls, and you think, man, I'm hungry, then your next thought should be something like, oh, right, I'm hungry because I'm fasting today. And I'm fasting because of this reason. And so as you think I'm hungry, it should automatically jump to this is the reason why I'm hungry and this is the reason why I'm fasting. And so although the physical discomfort of fasting may be unpleasant, uh, perhaps even painful, it's important to feel some degree of hunger during your fast. Uh, your hunger helps you. It serves as a, as a reminder for you of what your spiritual purpose for the fast is. And so, for instance, if your purpose is to pray for your spouse, uh, then every time your stomach growls or your headaches, your hunger reminds it that you're fasting for the purpose of praying for your spouse. And so then you pray. Um, so throughout your fast, every time you feel hunger, whether you're working, whether you're driving, whether you're talking to someone else, whether you're sitting at your computer, whatever, if you're walking or whatever else you're doing, when you feel that hunger pain, you're reminded of your purpose. And so in this case, the purpose of prayer would be for your spouse. But as a Christian, whenever you fast, you should do so in a biblical way. So uh, we're going to start with these 10 biblical purposes, and then we're going to uh, start... Uh, probably get through maybe f- half of them or so, and then we will uh, stop for the night. Okay, so the first reason, a uh, first biblical purpose is to strengthen prayer. To strengthen prayer. There's something about fasting that sharpens our prayer lives. It sharpens the edge of our intercessions, and it deepens the passion that we have for our supplications. And so the people of God have frequently utilized fasting when they felt a special urgency about a concern that they lift up before God the Father. And the Bible does not teach that 
that fasting is some kind of spiritual hunger strike that we force God to do what we want because that's not what he, what it is. Um, if we ask for something that's outside of God's will, fasting is not going to make him reconsider and grant our request. Um, it does not change God's hearing, but it changes us. It changes the way we pray. It changes our prayers. And to see some of the places in Scripture where fasting and prayer are connected, you could look at Ezra chapter 8, verse 23, where it says, We fasted and pled, uh, pleaded with our God about this, and he was receptive to our prayer. Nehemiah 1, When I heard these words, I sat down and wept. I mourned for a number of days, fasting and praying before the God of heavens. Daniel chapter 9, verse 3, So I turned my attention to the Lord God to seek him by prayer and petitions with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. And then Acts chapter 13, After they had fasted, prayed, and then laid hands on them, they sent them off. And so we, we can strengthen our prayer lives by fasting. Further, we, we do so to seek God's guidance. And it, it gives us a, 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 the ability to more clearly concern the will, to discern the will of God, rather. Uh, Judges chapter 20 Verse 26, the whole Israelite army went to Bethel where they wept and sat before the Lord. They fasted that day until evening and offered burnt offerings and fellowship offerings to the Lord. Then the Israelites inquired of the Lord. In those days, the Ark of the Covenant was there. And Phinehas, son of Eleazar, son of Aaron, was serving before it. And the Israelites asked, should we again fight against our brothers the Benjamites or should we stop? And the Lord answered, fight, because I will hand them over to you tomorrow. And then Acts chapter 14, when they had appointed elders for them in every church and prayed with fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And so they believe uh, in the scripture that if we fast and pray to God, we're able to better understand uh, what God's will is in a given situation. And so uh, that is a way that is given to seek God's guidance. Notice that fasting does not ensure uh, the certainty of receiving such clear guidance from God, but rightly practiced, it does make us more receptive to hear what God has to say to us and to listen to the way the one who loves us guides us. Another uh, purpose that we have is to express grief. As was mentioned in, in Judges, that when the Israelite army went to Bethel, they wept and they sat before the Lord and then they fasted. Uh, it was a way of showing their grief. Um, one of the reasons the Israelites wept and fasted was not only to seek his guidance, but to express the grief that they had experienced for the 40,000 brothers that died in battle that day. Grief caused by such events um, can be expressed through fasting. And, uh, you know, some of us, that's just a natural response anyways, is we don't, um, when we experience times of stress, some of us do eat. Uh, I'm guilty of that. Uh, but some of us, when we experience stress, we, we don't eat. And I, I also do that sometimes. Uh, my body reacts weirdly. Uh, but the point being here is it's an intentional thing. It's not just response of your body, but it's, it's actually making a decision with your mind. I'm going to fast as a way of grieving this situation. Uh, Christians have fasted because of grief for their sins uh, and have fasted as a means of expressing grief for the sins of others as well. And so we can, uh, can express our grief through fasting. I think this is going to be the last one we're going to do tonight, but uh, to seek deliverance or protection. 
And one of the most common fasts that we see in biblical times was a fast that we saw to seek salvation from enemies or from their circumstances. Second Chronicles chapter 20, when Jehoshaphat was afraid, he sought the Lord. He proclaimed a fast for all Judah. And uh, everybody gathered to seek the Lord, uh, to seek his deliverance, to seek his protection in this situation that Jehoshaphat found himself in. And so... <clears throat> When we are in a situation where we're afraid, we can all come together and fast as a way to seek deliverance or protection from God. Ezra chapter 8, uh, Ezra says, I proclaim to fast by the Ahava River so that we might humble ourselves before our God and ask him for a safe journey for us, our dependents and all our possessions. I did this because I was ashamed that he asked the king for infantry and cavalry to protect us from enemies during the journey. Since we had told him the hand of our God is gracious to all who seek him, but his fierce anger is against all who abandon him. So therefore, we fasted and pleaded with our God about this, and he was receptive to our prayer. And so, uh, in this particular situation, as the Israelites are making their way back from Babylon, or now Persia, uh, who has taken over from them, uh, Persia, uh, they're leaving from Persia and headed back to Judah. Uh, they're afraid their enemies are going to come upon them and take them, and so they have requested, uh, they fasted, so that God might deliver them and protect them from, uh, from the enemies. Once again, Esther, when she called for a fast, she was afraid of what, what the king uh, would have to say, and, and she was facing uh, death as a possibility, and so she was also afraid. So she was seeking God's deliverance or his protection in that situation. He called, she called everyone to fast uh, for her. And then the psalmist wrote in Psalm 109, let this be the Lord's payment to my accusers, to those who speak evil against me. But you, Lord, my, my Lord, deal kindly with me for your name's sake, because your faithful love is good. Rescue me. For I am suffering and needy. My heart is wounded within me. I fade away like a lengthening shadow. I am shaken off like a locust. My knees are weak from fasting, and my body is emancipated. And so, once again, David here uh, is saying, I, I'm fasting and asking for you, O oh God, to deliver me from the situation, to give me your protection. And so rather than um, our, our fleshly efforts, rather than when, when something bad happens and our first response is to see what we can do from a physical perspective, uh, here we, it is clear that we are to, first of all, fast and pray to the Lord and seek his deliverance or protection. And so we're going to close with that tonight because I want to give you a challenge. And uh, I want you to join me on Saturday. Saturday is the 25th. Uh, I want you to join with me on Saturday to do a, a normal fast. Uh, that means we're not going to eat, um, but we will still drink water, but not eating. Uh, as we seek to ask God to deliver us from this COVID-19 situation, uh, to seek his deliverance from it, to seek his protection from it, uh, to seek his guidance through it. And so I, I hope that this will be a time where our prayers are strengthened uh, and that we would be challenged by, uh, by that, by fasting, uh, to seek God in this situation. And so I want you to join me on Saturday, the 25th of April, for a normal fast for all day long, if you're medically able. If you're not able to medically, 
please do not put yourself in harm's way by uh, doing so. But I do ask that you would join me in fasting for our nation, fasting for our world during this COVID-19 situation. And so we're going to close with that tonight. I want to say thank you for joining us or joining me for this live stream. Um, We're going to close with a word of prayer, and we'll pick up uh, with this again next week. And so thank you once again for joining us. Um, 